think you can see how, how really everything's a training opportunity. Everything, everything that shows up in your world is an opportunity for training. And in, if you lean into it, you reap the benefits of what it can offer, you know? Welcome to Mindful Warrior Radio. Mindful Warrior Radio is a space we created to connect with incredible humans, to share brave stories, authentic insight, and real knowledge. My name is Cami Craig. I'm a former elite athlete, Olympic champion, turned performance and culture design coach at Mindful Warrior. And I'm your host of Mindful Warrior Radio. I am so excited to have Shauna with us here today on Mindful Warrior Radio. Shauna is a psychotherapist, spiritual coach, intuitive channel, and elite athlete. Uh, just reading these things, Shauna, I'm like, holy cow, what an amazing list um, and just offerings that you have as a human. And I am so excited to just tap into your knowledge and your insight today and um, just really appreciative to have you on. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so excited to be here and I love, I have listened to all the podcasts and I love it. So I feel oh. super blessed to be among your guests. Oh, <laughs> wonderful. <laughs> Thank you um, for listening. Thank you for being a fan. It's so, it's so appreciated. So again, you, you have these beautiful titles of how you show up as you are and the gifts that you possess. And so I'd like to start by asking you to share a little bit about your background and how you got into the work that you're doing today. Okay. So wait, I really have always been doing it. Um, like the sense that I would say the type of work that I do really is around helping others feel empowered and to be able to experience from within their own ability to live the life they came here to live, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's more that I'm just almost like sitting alongside, you know, helping highlight that they already have it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so uh, within, so originally, I mean, from a very early age, I have been oriented towards a spiritual perspective and grew up in that kind of environment because of the family in which I grew up in. So always that has been the sort of most salient aspect of my identity. Um, and then I started first doing sort of uh, various healing modalities, um, always with the intent that I would work with those that were in transition who were dying. And so eventually through, through my different trainings and different healing modalities, I decided that working as a hospice social worker would be one of those ways that I could do it. So I, I then went to social work school and then went through the training. The school that I went to was really geared towards um, a particular track of social work as a psychotherapist. It's, it's, mm -hmm. Smith and Smith's program is really aimed in that direction. And social work is very, very vast, you know? So I started doing hospice social work, which was just absolutely profoundly incredible. It's still just such a, it has such a prominent place in my heart, but really that hospice social work was related to my interest in death as a very young kid. I remember literally being like in the sixth grade and doing a public speaking contest on near-death experiences. You know, wow. this has always been like my thing, yeah. <laughs> like an area yeah. of interest. Yeah. So I'm very, very comfortable in that space of transition and um, and then I, then I, from hospice social work, I branched out into psychotherapy 
because ultimately what I realized was that transition is transition is transition. So that when you're coming into psychotherapy, typically you're in the midst of transition. And the training in hospice was profound in that respect. I did my undergrad degree in thanatology, which is the study of death and dying. So it really helped me understand that I really appreciated being with people in that liminal space of movement from one place to another. And then in the psychotherapy setting, um, you know, always I have been intuitive. And so it just kept happening where I would be with my clients and observe what was showing up. And sometimes it was past life and sometimes it was karmic. And, you know, I'm sitting here like as a provider for various insurance panels and I could, you know, I couldn't put that down right in the diagnosis or in the paperwork. So, so eventually when my son was born, I made that decision to move away and just do the work that was coming from me. And it's super informed by my practice as a therapist, as a psychotherapist, mm-hmm. still in the way that I work today, but I'm not doing psychotherapy. I'm doing right. more of the, to your, to, you know, what you were describing earlier in the terms of the titles that I'm wearing or the hats I'm wearing now, yeah. it's much more in a, from a spiritual perspective. So it just was a very, it, I really appreciate the way for myself that it went because there's so much in the training of social work and psychotherapy that helped, you know, in this, in terms of boundaries and all, all of the things that you might imagine that mm-hmm. it served me in going this trajectory. So I'm super grateful that it just so happened. This was the path I took. And yeah, so it brought me here today <laughs> and I've yeah. moved into really, I, I think it, I think of it as a spiritual guidance really it's very simple it's just (laughs) yeah I'm curious a little bit about there's like two questions that immediately pop up for me is one you share like I've always I've been you know introduced to spirituality at a young age I had this curiosity I think one when you started kind of learning about the gifts that you had and your ability to connect uh, in the way that you can how was that experience you know it sounds like they're was a little bit of like normalizing in this way within your family. Um, But was there any type of like fear or curiosity or excitement? And how did you start um, allowing yourself to kind of own, own that? Because it's not maybe what society thinks is the norm, right? And so it's different. And so when we're different, it's, we tend as humans to reject it because we don't, you know, we're not the norm, right? And so I think it's a beautiful example of, you know, learning those gifts and, and owning them. But what was that experience like for you? Oh, that's such a great question. And really what comes to mind is the, the, the most I think the most important or significant aspect of me owning my gifts was my mom because Mm. she was incredibly intuitive and she, to your point, totally normalized the process and encouraged it and met me in that space. I mean, the things that she always had, you know, on her bookshelves were like what I have on my bookshelves now, you know, so it, it, and she was a nurse. So she would come home and tell me stories of for example, very strong memory of her. She passed when I was 19. So it's been a while that she's been here on the earth plane, but we're in deep connection. <laughs> um, but she would tell me of, of the stories of folks that were in her patients that were in comas and how she would connect with them and she would speak to them. And so she introduced, I mean, as a really young kid, she was talking to me about this kind of thing. 
And obviously, I mean, if I was doing public speaking contests with, you know, on, on, on near-death experiences, it was in my home. The subject matter was in my home. It was in the book, on right. the bookshelf, that kind of thing. So the way that it showed up, we, we, I'm an identical twin and we have always had a really strong psychic telepathic connection. So that was also very normalized. And my mother yeah. anticipated, she understood it. She highlighted it and could see it from when we were like two on. So it, it was very second nature to communicate in that way um, telepathically. And so it was, bless my mother, because she yeah. was just super open. I definitely chose right <laughs> as a soul to come into yes, this. <laughs> definitely. Mm -hmm. Oh, that is so, that's so wonderful. I'm, I'm curious, the next question that comes up for me as you, you know, start honing in and owning these gifts and skills that you've had and were aware of from, you know, just a baby, really, what was it like to go through your education? And, you know, as you said, going through school to become a social worker, has definitely been helpful in a lot of ways, as I could imagine. But I'm curious, was there moments of resistance or clunkiness as you are kind of blending the two worlds together? And how have you had to be creative or outside of the box in, in, you know, in a professional way, of course? because it's, it's almost their opposite worlds, but yet they really, really support each other in the work that you're doing. Oh yeah. That's such a great question too. Mm -hmm. um, absolutely. They, there were, I, you know, I, I was blessed with the, this, like it, maybe it was that I wasn't aware that think that I would be considered unusual for it because I, I just saw the truth in it, mm -hmm. you know? So I would, I would write things in school that, I remember applying for prep school and, and you know how we had to write an essay application in the application and mine was on the quote, the true profession of man is to find the way to his self from Siddhartha and I was young and I thought, yeah, of course I'm gonna talk about this. So I just like rolled, you know, about that perspective. But then I had to go up against things like you're describing that there, there was a bit of a a way in which I had to get creative. And the, the one of the most amazing programs is UMass. They have a program called the University Without Walls wherein you can create your own degree. And that's what I found. So in my program of thanatology, I was able to literally do training in shamanic healing and bring that in and training in energy work and bring that in. And so I was able to do that. And then in social work school, I was at Smith, which is in Northampton, Mass. And they happened to have because I did the research, you have to do full year placements mm -hmm. um, in, you know, as a practicum. And I reached out to the, to the department head and said, look, there's this program in Northampton, Mass called Windhorse. It's a Buddhist um, spiritually based treatment approach for mental illness. Can I intern there? And they didn't have a program wherein they were connected with Windhorse, but they let me do it. And ever since they've there, that's now part of their their training program. So I'm super excited because it it was such an amazing way in which to get trained as a social worker. Mm -hmm. You know, you literally part of my shift was I had to sit in meditation. Like we all had to, it was just profound and wonderful. So, so just getting creative, but also I think as I was mentioning earlier, I think it was because I just didn't even really expect for it to be like considered sort of admirable. I just went into it maybe, maybe just not 
seeing the whole picture, but I just was like, this is going to be accepted because this is just truth. Cause it was my truth. Not that it was their truth necessarily, but it was mine. Yeah. Beautiful. Beautiful. Was there any times where you felt like any challenges within kind of your education or feeling like it was pulling you maybe off your center? And was there any fear of kind of losing yourself in that process as, you know, at times I feel, you know, we kind of get pulled into these boxes as we are developing ourselves and we're checking our lists off to, you know, I'm get my undergrad, get my master's, get my doctor, you know, kind of thing. And so I'm, I would really love to tap into kind of what were your pings in that and how did you hold kind of your knowing and your course um, when, you know, life can be presenting like, this is how, this is actually the steps. And so I think that's important to hear for all of us. Absolutely. I, you know, my, my educational trajectory was a bit circuitous. I think what happened, my mom died when I was 19. And I, at that point, you know, it, you know, I had been like really focused, driven, always wanted to get A's, you know, that kind of thing, like A's wasn't enough. I wanted to get the extra credit, you know, that kind of yes. thing. Yes. So I was very attached to performing, you know, in, in an academic setting well. And so when, after my mother passed, I, I came up against just what you're describing. And I said, you know what? I don't even need to finish school. I'm not. And so I went and I became a licensed massage therapist and did that for a long time and, um, and didn't go back to finish my undergrad degree until I figured out what you're describing, which was like, you know what? I can't actually do it my way. Yeah. So I, you know, I had already started school and then went back knowing that I wanted to do it. If it was okay to do it along my terms, mm -hmm. I said, I will do it. I think that what facilitated that was the maturity that happened between, um, you know, when my mom passed and then when I went back to school, it, it, it gave me the pause to evaluate that I didn't just have to put my head down and listen to what I was yeah. being told that I could cultivate a different path, you know? Very, very cool. I think it, it, that is such a courageous step and yeah, to be able to one, have the clarity to feel like you could take that, you know, take the pause, gain the clarity and move forward in the way that you, that you felt was really aligned with who you were and the work that you wanted to do and where you wanted to go. Um, it, ta it takes courage. You know, a lot of times I think many of us can get down a rabbit hole and go, oh, wait, how do we get way down here? And where do we turn around? But also, you know, the learnings that come from going down those rabbit holes and really, you know, sometimes we, <laughs> sometimes we really, really, really need to know it's not for us before that clarity comes. Um, the idea is how do you, how do you get that clarity earlier on? So you're not <laughs> wasting too much time going the wrong direction. <laughs> I'm curious of there. I mean, I have so many questions popping up, so this is just, I'm excited. <laughs> I'm excited to be in this conversation. But I'm, I'm curious of if you were going to coach someone on strengthening or connecting to their intuition, what would you share with them and where would you encourage someone to start? Well, and this is, and it's so fun to speak with you because you're an athlete. So yes. you know, it really just is so much like training for sport, you know, mm -hmm. and, and it's just that the more that you, the more attention that you give it, the more dedication that you have towards it. And to create the space, the way that you would create space to go in the pool, right? Like, of course, you know, and it's that same sort of thing. It's just a regular part of your day. 
but it, it just like with, you know, your sport, like it, maybe there were days I imagine that were maybe harder to get in the pool than others, yeah, but, but ultimately also it was like, you had to go, you know, yes. um, <laughs> and not because you had to, it's just an inner, like an inner drive and it would make you feel alive to go, you know? So that same kind of energy to bring that energy into your intuition and create the space, cultivate an, an, a, a literally a sacred space for you in which to engage regularly, not necessarily for hours on end, but to do it in the way a personal trainer might say, you know, if you're going to start this program, do it in a way that will be realistic so you can stick with it, you know, yes. not to say I'm going to go sit in meditation for one hour straight every single day, but to create a tiny period of you know, time that's doable. And then that will grow organically because you will find it easier and easier to stay in that space, but you will also crave it. So mm -hmm. the creating the space, but also the faith, the thing that is the most important is our faith in our gift and in our mm -hmm. skill set. So if we can grow our faith in our intuition, the way in which our intuition comes through is clearer and stronger. Mm -hmm. So it's like a key, you know? And so the faith is, is related on some level to self-love. So the, that, that is an important component as well as to be deeply accepting of the self, mm -hmm. to trust your inner wisdom and give it the space to come forward and then have faith that it's actually coming forward yep. because we all have it, right? This is, mm -hmm. that's one of the biggest parts of the work that I do is, why I love it so much is because it it is available to each and every one of us. It's not just, it doesn't just exist in one, you know, person mm -hmm. who has the ability. We all have that ability. That person like you as an, as an elite athlete, you train to get to the level that you've been at. And it's that same thing, you know, the more dedication, it'll just come through clearer, but you, everyone has it, you know? So yeah. just to, to, to develop the faith in the self, to create space for a practice you know mm -hmm. like training and um and and that how all of that is actually in my opinion related to self-love because if we if we are in a state of self-love we know and we're in tune with what supports us and certainly having an internal directional like an internal gps supports us you know so we mm -hmm. don't have to look outside so that's how i see it related to self-love you know Beautiful. And so this faith and self-love is crucial for helping to strengthen and build intuition. So tell me a little bit about how fear disrupts intuition. Well, fear, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's an interesting thing because oftentimes when we begin the journey of really tapping into our intuition, old wounding around it from past life might surface. Mm -hmm. And so we might feel a bit afraid, you know, not even necessarily from what's occurred in this incarnation, but how we've used it in the past, how it's been perceived in past. I'm talking about past life, yeah. <laughs> you know, that, that can surface as fear. And the way I, I, so I want to just mention that before I answer the question, because that, that I, my understanding of that and the way I experience it is a, a moving through a clearing away. Mm -hmm. um, almost like you're, you know, you're doing like you're clearing the pipes or something. Um, you're running the water through. And so you, it's okay to release that to, to be, I would say it's preferable to transmute it, right. To not just kind of put it out into the world, but to, to alchemize it, you know, yeah. but let it out. 
the distinction between fear and intuition is more of a, it's so important to, to learn for sure, because it is, um, fear is a bit like a white noise machine and it blocks the transmission of the intuition coming through. It's not that mm. it's, it doesn't block the intuition, it blocks your ability to hear it. Yep. It's still coming through at the same level. The volume is the same, but there's like a noise machine over it. So the, dis the difference between intuition and fear is like, it's not that all intuition that comes through, everything that comes through is exactly what you want to hear. Mm -hmm. Sometimes, you know, might be a little different than you, what you were hoping, you know, wanting to hear, but, but it, when it's communicated, our intuition presents it in a way that's empowering. Mm -hmm. So we see how, even though we thought that's what we wanted, we can see how this actually serves our highest good. That's how our intuition will reveal something that we might've thought would be disappointing prior. But the fear feels disempowering. The fear feels constrictive instead of expansive. The intuition that's coming through always feels expansive, even if it's, mm. you know, because it's showing us a way through, even if it's saying, you know, hey, you know, this is probably not the best match for you. It does it in a way that's empowering, not in a way that feels terrifying. So the distinction is expansion and constriction. The fear is constricting. Wonderful, wonderful. So if we were going to simplify for our listeners, like a practice, so I heard meditation is one way to practice and strengthen your intuition. What are some other simple practices that you would give to listeners to play with and practice and build those repetitions? Great question. I so appreciate it because that is the goal, right? Is to make spirit practical and, and, and bring it into the everyday. And if we can do that, it's certainly bringing in the energy of play, but in a, a practice type of way, there are various different sacred tools that are available for people to literally play with, right? Like, um, you know, whether it's they get themselves a pendulum and they use it to practice, you know, being in tune um, with their higher self. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, if one is interested in things like tarot or whatnot, to, to develop a, a further understanding of that kind of thing, to follow where they're being pulled, if they're interested in it. I always see that as that there's a resonance within them that is already familiar with it. So perhaps they've, they've mastered it in past life, even if they've never, ever done it in this incarnation. You know, like if you're pulled towards astrology, perhaps it be is because you already have that mastery from past life and you want to remember it. But in a practical day-to-day -day way, it could even just simply be spending, committing to something like five minutes in the morning or something, wherein you have a question and answer with your guides, where you tune in and you say, you know, I'm going to do some automatic writing. And if I imagine that I'm talking to my guides, what would I imagine that they would say? And that's what I mean by play, mm -hmm. because it, that offsets the doubting, the doubting energy that might surface, like, oh, I'm making this up, right? But if you're just imagining it, then you can turn that doubting off. Yeah. Right. So it just feels like uh, creating the space to be either to play with what you're pulled towards, like the, the pendulum kind of thing, or automatic writing or connecting with your guides in a question answer way, have some questions and imagine they're responding. And over time it, with that, I find it useful to close down. Like if you've written out some questions and answers, you might say to yourself, I'm going to look at this tomorrow. I'm not even going to go back and read it right now because you'll have um, a different perspective the next day and to see sort of like 
wow, you'll really be able to see that you weren't making it up. You'll really be able to see how clearly this was your intuition communicating. So those kinds of practices, but again, bring in play, make it lighthearted. There's no way to do it right or wrong. Yeah. It's so individual and our, our intuitive capacities are, whether it's through clairvoyance, clairaudience, clairsentience, or claircognizance, it comes through differently for everybody. You know, it's like a dream and how you would interpret your dreams. It's so unique. So play in the sense that like allow it to be like an art form, you know? Yeah. I love that. I think what's neat about what you're sharing is just the intention and attention that you're bringing to the space that you're creating to be playful in. I think, you know, as you share that everyone has, you know, the ability and has it within them, messages are coming in of, you know, your intuitive pings. Um, you know, I think a lot about how we were raised could build intuition, you know, the being a lead athlete built intuition within. And so I, I kind of even want to connect with you on an athlete level of how is that like a portal for strengthening intuition and things along those lines. I have dyslexia. And so I, you know, I wasn't reading the paper often as a younger child. And so I was constantly reading the room and having to kind of feel and anticipate things. And so I think there was so much intuition that was created at a young age that I actually felt went into my athletics as well. And this kind of, there's these feelings to move and act and speak at certain times and, you know, how you anticipate I played water polo. And so I was constantly going up different against different opponents. And the way that I played was my back was to my opponent. And I had to, without eyes and seeing the movement, feel the movement, anticipate the movement intuitively move with my defender, if you will. And so I could almost feel like muscles tighten and I would know what the next move would be and to match that without, you know, seeing directly. And so I think about, it's so wonderful to be able to be intentional and bring attention to these practices. And, you know, for anyone who is interested in building their intuition, like how is that showing up in your everyday life as an ability to rep? Like what, where does that already exist for you? And, you know, how can you be playful with it in your own space that you're creating as well? Is there any thoughts that are coming up with you around that? I love that so much. I mean, to me, you know, the trajectory of sport in general for me was, has been such a way in which to like, hone the instrument, you know, mm -hmm. um, the instrument being our, the body. So for sure, I just love what you're saying about your sport. That's fascinating to me. Um, and I can track it perfectly. I could, yeah. that's just a powerful experience. And also so wild and beautiful that you can see how the dyslexia was such a gift, right? Because yeah. it cultivated something else in you, which is amazing. And I love that piece too, because that's something our intuition gives us access to is why why is our particular journey the way that it is, you know, like mm -hmm. why did we incarnate in this way, in this body, in this time, in this family of origin, and to be able to train yourselves to see the strengths, like you're just art articulating, I think is something that comes from our intuitive ability. And it's, it's so powerful because it shifts us again into this place of empowerment about our own life. Yes. It's amazing. Yeah. The idea of using a relationship to training and intuition it just it has it was like the 
the name of your podcast and your company. It's really like the training of a mindful warrior. And that's what I see as intuitive capacity. It's like staying, literally staying mindful all the time with your intention and your attention that you're describing to consistently bring your intention and your attention to the vibration and the level of consciousness that you want it to be at. That's a training. That's a mindful warrior capacity Mm -hmm. because it's easy to slip out into the day-to-day experiences of, you know, earning a paycheck and all the things, grocery shopping, whatever. (laughs) So, but the, the idea of, of training and looking, training yourself to look throughout your day at what's showing up from spirit is another Mm -hmm. training mechanism. That's super fun, right? Like why did that hawk fly across my windshield? I'm dropping because it has a message for me. What's the message and training yourself to consistently observe that and receive the magic that's showing up for you. So literally training yourself to engage with magic, with, with Mm -hmm. the, the joyful aspects of life. And it does require training. So to me, this, the, my journey with running in, as an athlete was was akin to that and created in me an ability to stay dedicated and an ability to align my focus mm-hmm. with that perspective. So I am so forever grateful <laughs> for the way in which my sport was um, supportive of my my intuitive development, you know. It's incredible. So you are a long distance runner. I was, yes, was. <laughs> but yes, I don't compete anymore. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so funny how, you know, and, and I've had a lot of discussions with athletes about the, I was, and I am, and I'm not, you know, as you know, I competed at a high level and no longer am at that highest level, but I still play water polo. It's still fun. Um, and I'm, I'm so curious, you qualified for the Olympics twice. The Olympic trials. Yeah. Trials. trials. Okay. Yes different, very different, as you know, because, yeah. been, um, and yes, uh, that was the goal for me. Like that was, I definitely had a goal of two. I wanted to do two. I wanted to qualify for two trials. That was my version of the Olympics <laughs> because Incredible. I know what it takes. And, yeah. um, but it was wonderful because once I was able to get to that place, then something unlocked in me and it was like, okay, you wanted to stay uh, like really focused on this. Now we're going to go and honor these other parts that want to come forward. And immediately, like, I I don't know if I would have been able to shift as easily if I hadn't been blessed enough to be able to reach the goals that I'd set for myself. Mm -hmm. But because I did, I was able to be at complete peace with it. You know, so sometimes, as you know, being an athlete, sometimes we're reluctant about weaving, you know, and I wasn't, I was like, all right, next thing. (laughs) And so- and yeah. beautiful to know that there is even other parts of you to honor, right? Because we totally. can get so siloed in, I am an athlete. It's my soul identity because it's such a mind, body, soul. It's an, it's like, you can't, there's not, you can't sideline anything when you're trying to reach the highest level of athletics. And so I think it's beautiful that you had already kind of cultivated and developed these other parts of yourself that you knew still existed within you as you were, you know, in the thick of your athletic career, if you will. And I think that, that to me is important with all the work that I'm doing with athletes today of like, okay, yes, you are an awesome athlete that is focused and driven, but like, what else? 
who else are you? Let's play in that. Like, you know, are you an artist? Are you a creative? Are you a sister? Are you a friend? Are you, you know, what does that look like to you? And let's, let's kind of sit down and have like a conversation with those other parts of you just to honor that they're there. So that's, it's really cool to hear that you set goals, you reach them, and then it was time to honor other parts of you. Okay. So still on this athlete topic, I'm, I'm curious about what is, you know, I think about intuition and then I think about flow and there are parts that seem like they kind of overlap. And then there's, there's a difference between intuition and flow, but they, do they come from the same place? Like how are they saying, are they the same? How are they different? So how, what's your experience with that? Oh, that's such a great question. And I'll share a story about it, but also Please, my, yes. my, <laughs> my understanding of, of the flow and intuition is that the, the intuition is giving, it's like a, like a gateway or a, a way in which to like jump onto the track of flow, Yes, um, you know, yes, um, that's so, well. <laughs> yeah. yes. so I think they go hand in hand and for me, like there, there's a way in which I experienced flow concretely in an athletic event that was entirely connected with intuition. So I'll share this story mm-hmm. because what happened was I was training, you know, to hit the qualifying time and the race that I was in, I like went out way too fast and tried to just go overzealous. Anyway, I ended up with a really bad stitch that ended up tearing my diaphragm a little bit. So I walked off the course at 22 and I was like, I'm just going to go to a different race in a couple of weeks that like, I'm just going to try it again. So I was nervous because it was where you're breathing it, you know, it's directly affected by your breathing. And I thought, you know, like, what if I get nervous in this next race? Like, I really, like, I really want to qualify. <laughs> so mm-hmm. I got to be fine. So I went to a hypnotherapist, which was the greatest thing ever. And this guy was, his name was Tony. He was lovely and he was doing a practicum. So he was, I was sort of like a homework assignment mm-hmm. and um, for him. And it was awesome. So during the hypnotherapy session, he's kept saying, after we discussed things, he kept saying something magical is going to happen. Something magical is going to happen. So what we were working on is I'm going to stay relaxed about my diaphragm and I'm not going to have like a cramp happen again, you know, mm-hmm. ditch kind of thing. And so I get into the race the night before the race, Tony leaves me a message and it was just a couple of words, you know, a, a, like a, a minute long, but in, in the end, he ends it by saying something magical is going to happen. Something magical is going to happen. Something magical is going to happen. So this was the refrain I had going into this race. And I was like, all right, cool. You know, I'm just going to go with it. I'm going to try to qualify. And I kept seeing these signs that made it special. And mm-hmm. I, sort of, you know, let them go and just, but the end of the, um, of the, well, in the middle of the race, I didn't realize where I was and the race. And then I, got to mile 20 and realized I was in second place. So I thought, oh my God, like, this is pretty wild. You know, I wasn't at all thinking I was going to win this race at all. I just wanted to qualify. But anyway, I kept saying to myself, okay, I've caught up to this first place runner and we're running together. And I kept thinking to myself, something magical is going to happen. Something magical is going to happen. And then I won. And, 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 and it was like by five seconds, it was super close, you know, in a marathon that's close, you know? 
And so that to me was, I felt, I felt the flow based in, in part by what this refrain had allowed me access to, which was, it was this intuitive experience. He tuned into his intuition that this would be a perfect link up to flow for me. And it was, you know, so, and it felt effortless, right? Like I didn't have, not only did I not have any pain in my diaphragm, but I, if you know how this is, it felt like I wasn't even pushing hard, you know, mm -hmm. I was like, this was, felt easy, but it, it was the fastest I had ever gone, you know? So mm -hmm. it wasn't, but it felt that way. Right. So to me, they were hand in hand, the intuition yep. gave me access to the flow. So yes. Wow. I, what a, what a phenomenal story. So a few questions are popping up and I think even just to acknowledge, like, not only did it feel effortless, but you said, I didn't even know where I was in the race because I was so deep into flow that I was just going. And when you kind of, you know, brought your awareness to where you were at, you know, still in the pocket of flow, um, you were right where you needed to be and made the adjustments where you needed to. Right. And so again, there's that play of intuition and flow of where to pick up and where to pull back and how to pace and then letting your mind kind of just be free in it. Um, and I, I just think that's, I, as an athlete, you know, that's the best feeling ever. And even as I tune in away from kind of this higher level of athletics that I've competed in is like kind of even feeling that in life at times and it becoming really obvious when, you know, there's a lot of like clunkiness or, you know, disruption and not of that ease of like, you're just flowing through life and you don't even realize, oh my gosh, I'm, I'm leveling up. I'm leveling up. I'm leveling up. It's beautiful. And so I think, you know, I, I love this kind of idea that intuition is the on-ramp to flow in ways. I'm curious of, as you talked to Tony and he said, Matt, something magical is going to happen. Was your faith intact with that? Did you truly feel and believe that? Or was that something you had to hold for yourself until you were like, holy cow, something magical is happening. What was that like for you? I was in tune with it as I was going to qualify. I was really <laughs> confident about that. Thanks to that beautiful session. And it was only one session, which is amazing. Wow. Just really speaks to how effective that particular modality is, but yes. for, in sport, you know, but it will in everything, but I did not in any way at all think about winning and no, you know, other races, of course, but this was a big marathon. No, not, not, it was the Philadelphia marathon. And I just did, it wasn't even on my radar. I was like, that's not what I'm trying to do. I just want to fall. I don't care who wins, you know, yeah. this was, um, so yes, it was, I, my faith was definitely intact and, you know, that everyday life experience that you're describing that clunkiness that we can come up against. Absolutely. I agree and have felt that and love the experience of the opposite when we feel ourselves just literally gliding through and not meeting resistance. But I really think the key to that is a little bit like what happened with the race for me, which yep. is there wasn't a resistance in me. There wasn't a doubt, right? Like it, I didn't have, I think maybe that's why the win was able to be actualized because I wasn't even thinking about it. So there wasn't okay. resistance, you know, like may, I don't know if I had been training for that. And that was my goal. Perhaps there might've been some fear around it, but mm -hmm. fortunately there wasn't because I wasn't even thinking about it, but, yeah. but I do think the resistance within ourselves is, um, you know, like the, like the, you were talking about leveling up. We may have, if there are wounds that are unhealed, we may have these unconscious attachments to them that keep us 
bound to that resistance. Mm-hmm. Um, I do think that in part flow is encouraged by a, not only by, by healing, um, mm-hmm. but I'm thinking about art and the way in which things can come through. Like you hear a musician just jamming and you can just hear them in flow. Um, I think that that speaks to, there's something they also might have, I would imagine have done healing about in terms of owning their, owning their greatness, you know, allowing that to come through them, you know? So um, I think there's, I think healing is connected to it, or at least living in the highest vibration possible. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think what comes up for me is I'll share this story uh, with you because I think it's kind of in line with what we're talking about. But in 2008, my team had lost in the Olympic finals and we won silver. And that was probably one of the most painful, you know, losses in my career. Uh, You know, the buzzer rang and it literally felt like a horse had kicked me in the stomach and I could hear like the air exhaling from my body. Just talk about like a real life deflation, right? And so you got to wait your four years, you got to put in your time, you got to be disciplined, you got to trust, you know, all of these things to kind of pick you back up by your bootstrings. And we're two months out from the 2012 Olympic games. And we have eight returners that were part of the 2008 team. So we've got girls who are like, we, we want to go back, whether it's for revenge, whether it's for the opportunity, but you know, gold is on the mind and four years, there's always, you know, challenges and conflicts and, you know, you're working your way through all of it. So we're two months out, which is still quite a bit of time to be, you know, Olympic tournament ready. And I remember I was sitting at my desk. I had finished practice for the day and my boyfriend at the time was next to me and I got full body goosebumps and I just burst into tears out of nowhere. Um, and he was like, are you okay? And I was like, we're going to win. Like, I know we're going, yeah, right. I'm like, I know we're going to win this. Like in that point, there was like a level of whether it be intuition or flow or a blend of both of just this kind of knowing of like, it was almost like where you almost said, like, I wasn't on my mind to like get in first place. I was able to kind of just let go for me. It was like, we're going to win. So I actually can relax into this and know whatever happens, we're going to find a way through And that actually started the process of me singing the national anthem in my car uh, to and from the pool because I was 20 minutes away and I would turn down or off the radio and I would be like driving and practicing because in my body and soul and my whole knowing, I was like, it's going to happen. So I need to prepare so I don't be like, I'm not one of those blooper athletes messing up the national anthem at the biggest moment. Um, And we won gold. And when, you know, we're on top of that podium, the flag was being raised. I didn't sing the national anthem because I was like snot crying. I was like, (laughs) there was no words, just tears. But, you know, it was a part of that kind of the faith that you're talking about, the trust and the ability, whether it's you're putting no pressure on yourself or you just know like it's meant to be of there's a letting go. There's a surrender element to accessing flow from my experience. And I'd love to kind of hear your perspective, but there's also some structure around it. So flow is like, in my experiences, like you have to feel a little bit of pressure or structure, and then there's got to be an element of like freedom, letting go and flow. And for me in my life right now, it's how do you master not trying to strong arm life and the experience but not being in full surrender where you're just kind of 
going through the motions and floating through life. Like what is the balance in all of these aspects of life and life in at large? So I'm curious of, yeah, what's coming up for you and, and your perspective on of the ingredients of flow, if you will. First, it gave me total chills listening to your story because it's, that's you totally tuning into your truth. And you, you, you were able to see with perfect clarity through your intuition, why mm. this is part of your journey, you know, and that's just such a blessing. And I love that it happened. And I'm right there with you in that story because it's so powerful. And I also think too, the idea of playing the national anthem during before and after practice is part of that too. It's like the experiential aspect of, you know, when we think as athletes to visualize, you know, mm -hmm. this is the experiential. You have not, you're not on your way to winning. It's after the fact I've won. And this is the state that I am cultivating and you called it into being, you know, just amazing. Yeah. It's just so beautiful. So cool. That's so cool. But that experiential piece, I think, is really significant because it's not so much I'm going to get there. It's the I have arrived. And what does that feel like? And that, in my opinion, is the way to access that actualization. So cool. Yeah, I'm going, so I better be ready. Yes, yes. <laughs> and it's happening, so I better know what I'm going to do after it happens. Totally. So perfect. I just think, I think that's just such a profound teaching, Cami, that you're bringing to light. That is, you know, when people are thinking about actualizing their dreams, I think you just nailed it. Like that's what you do. The, I have accomplished it, tap into that energy and resonate in that frequency. And that's how it, you know, it's part of it. So thank you for highlighting that and sharing that. And I totally agree with you about your perspective around flow. And I do think that it is a little bit for sure surrender. Absolutely. But I think it's also about what you're describing is that tension, some, some of that tension. Mm -hmm. So it, um, I, it's such a fascinating concept. <laughs> and even when, again, bringing it to, to something like art, you know, where it's coming through you, that artist has trained, you know, they're not playing the guitar the way that is happening in flow unless they know how to play the guitar they have trained right. or whatever you know so I do think they go hand in hand and I think that when when in everyday life that question you're asking but sort of like how do you do that not you know not to strong arm it I think it's as an athlete you know what it feels like to strong arm you know and um you know it's maybe a little bit like overtraining you know and when that energy comes up to just notice it and gently bring yourself back into the middle. I think the key is the balance. I think I think what you're describing is the balance between surrender and you know a little bit of that tension. So I think balance is an aspect of it as well. And I I think you know you you in your work with athletes, I'm sure you you experience this because I did do a lot of work as a psychotherapist with with athletes coming mm -hmm. off like you're describing out out of training and. And more specifically, the, the challenge of you have experienced a peak experience and now there's an addiction to wanting to perpetuate that peak. It's yep. so interesting to me, right? Because mm -hmm. I understand peak as like a peak, like a like a the the, the very top of a mountain or the very top of a roof, mm -hmm. but it's not where we're going to live forever. You know what I mean? Like we're not going to build our house, like at the very tip top point of the mountain. Right? right. But we can, we can experience that regularly. But I think the key is even with that is the balance. And it, it's very hard in my experience, working with athletes at high level that when 
there's an invitation to come back down. It's so hard because they're like, I can actually get to like perfect fitness. So like, why don't I, why don't I live there? And it's hard to release that. So, and that's very useful as a training to me. It's another way sport is a training for spiritual practice because it shows you, Hey, look, you can even get attached to peak experience. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's, that's true in high performers and, you know, in the corporate world or any type of working world or what have you. And I think one of the things that became really aware to me in my transition out of elite athletics is we're trained to turn it on, but we're not trained to turn it off. And even like, are we even trained appropriately to really like come down between games or come down between races or come down between, you know, big pitches or whatever might be happening in your corporate world or your working space? Like, no, we're trained to like stay at that high peak experience that you're talking about and then drive to the next. So, you know, we haven't even come down to be able to collect and rest and recover to come back up again. And so, you know, it's that it's exhausting, that constant. And that's where that strong arm comes. And that's where, you know, strong arming life and pushing through to the next thing. And cool grit is developed in this in some ways. Um, but do we always need to be gritty? Do we always need to be on? And yes, it becomes almost an addictive state that we want to be in constantly and then burnout, depletion, injury, illness, all that stuff comes to follow. So, you know, I think for me, a dream would be is we teach, you know, military athletes, high performers, you know, and even all of us is how do we rise up to the experience that we're having good, bad, and different. And then how do we come down, pause, rest, and recover, and maybe get access to some of the things that we're talking about and replenish so that we can experience and tap into intuition and flow for the next opportunity in a healthy way. I fully agree with you. And because I think that we do, we do not prioritize, I think to your point, we don't prioritize the recovery, even in a spiritual perspective, right? Like it is this go, go. And I think to your point, it, it, it is the period of integration that occurs when we rest and when we're taught to. So we've just up-leveled, right? We've done that high performance experience. We have accessed aspects of ourselves and, and, and gotten in touch with and developed aspects of ourselves in the process of that. Now take the time to integrate that so that, that your, it's like, um, you know, when you have your phone goes through an upgrade and it takes like a long time to do mm-hmm. it overnight or whatever. It's kind of like that. It's an invitation for us to have all of those parts now sit in a position of, uh, like to concretize within us. They're not just showing up for one minute. If we give it the space and the time, it can then solidify. And now we're embodying them. We're not just mm-hmm. absent from them. They live in us now. When we give them the chance to take root in us. Yes. You know? Yes. I think it's a hugely important piece. And I think, oh, you know, just what you're describing the from, from military to high performance. I just think it would serve us so well mm-hmm. <laughs> for sure. The rest part, because- it's very much, you know, like the cycles of nature and in, and in the notion of, you know, the idea of life, death, and rebirth, that there's, that there's cycles and that we can't always, we're not always in one, you know, that, and they don't denounce the other one begets the other, you know? So when you come down, it's not keeping you from thriving. 
It's right. allowing you to be born anew. Now yeah. you're being born anew with everything you've already just upgraded, you know, within yourself, you know? So I totally agree with you. And it's so hard as, a, as an athlete to get comfortable. Like mm-hmm. I, I imagine for you, you and the folks that you work with, like moving into what's a normal day of training, like yep. for, a, for like a non high performance, like what does that mean? You know, mm-hmm. it's an adjustment, you know? Yes, it is. And I think what's really neat about, but I just want to kind of highlight one of the things that you said is like, when you have reached this kind of peak performance, it now you embody that experience. It's now a part of you. It doesn't, it's not fleeting. Like it's almost like, okay, I've never been to this place before. Now I've arrived to this new location. I familiarized myself and now I have that comfortability or access to go back there in that way. Like, you know, if we're like visiting a new city or whatever, and it feels that way when you level up in a learning or a performance or an experience. And so this fear of that, it's not fleeting. Like actually you now own that experience. It's now a part of you, which is, you know, I think we can get to this, we can get kind of um, that attachment or, or we can, you know, really firmly hold on to this. Like, I don't want to lose it. Well, it's like, just trust that it's actually, it's, a, it's integrated into you now. And so there isn't a loss in that. And I think that's a cool perspective to come to. I think even as a young athlete or just a young individual trying to gain experience of like, Ooh, it's there. Like it's not fleeting. It's not going away. Let me ask you this question. We're talking about flow and experiencing flow. When we are off and we're in the clunkiness and we're in the like, ugh, you know, and we're talking about like, and I'm in, for this example, I'm going to use like, you could be too far in surrender or letting go, which may lead to like almost chaos, right? It's like too much freedom, or you can be in that kind of tension or pressure or control that leads maybe to rigidity. So we have rigidity and or chaos. So if you feel like you're sitting in one of these two places, because your pendulum just went one too far on one way or the other, what would be your suggestion to get back to balance, to get back to a space to access flow? Because sometimes we can go way out and it's like, and it takes some time and trust to build back into that center. So what would be your suggestions if you're coaching someone of ways to kind of return to, to center? The best way to do that is any grounding practice, because it's akin to, you know, when you're in one of those far extremes, you're, you're not fully grounded, right? Like you're pulled off center. So the priority, less of the focus can be put on, you know, like, you know, the, like, I, like, what do I do? I'm, I'm ex- experiencing a lot of rigidity here. Mm-hmm. It's, if you come back to a grounded perspective, you'll see the rigidity begin to fall away. And then you can start to work on the rigidity or the, maybe the sort of chaotic experience you're describing the other end of the spectrum. Um, but, and those grounding practices, it's, it's like, if you're in, and, it, and this, the physical body, you know, it is the instrument that we chose to access our highest level of consciousness in this, you know, incarnation. And so it has a lot to offer us, you know, and certainly, you know, from an athletic perspective, we can be dialed into connection to the body, maybe in a different way, perhaps, but I think a lot of artists do too, because they use their body that way. And other folks as well that are just interested in connection to themselves. But, but if we're not in it, it's, it can 
you know, our, our fears can get, can pull us off our, our, we might start to perseverate on things that can just pull us out of whack. But if we ground ourselves and come back into the body, it really helps. And I, it's, I know that might sound paradoxical because we're talking about intuition and flow, which sometimes yeah. sounds like it's outside of the body, right. you know, like transcendent experience. But my experience with uh, I'm, I'm very, my, one of the ways in which my intuition comes through is through clairsentience. I, I have access to cognizance and clairvoyance, but this, this is, I'm super sensitive physically. And so if I'm not grounded, my anxiety is off the charts, you know, mm-hmm. I have to ground. So I think that that has taught me, um, you know, my personal experience with that has taught me that how easy it is to become ungrounded, right? So to just to make it a daily practice to practice and this to be ground practice groundedness. And this may be literally could be chugging a glass of water. If you're feeling yep. ungrounded. It might be imagining roots going from your feet into the earth, you know, I mean, it's individual, right? It's, mm-hmm. Some people it's going for a walk or hanging out with their aunt, you know, their dog or something, yep. but whatever is going to put their child <laughs> and that it is very important in terms of then you can see the roads to how to unpack whatever struggle you're having with rigidity or maybe being a little bit too loose with your goals. I don't know, whatever it is that you're doing on the end, you know? No, and I love that. That really resonates. And I, what I appreciate is the range that you just spoke about in regards to like grounding practices. Like how do you truly soothe yourself in the moment? And sometimes you know, we are in a meeting and someone said something that triggered you, right? And you don't have the ability to get up off the desk and walk away. So what's the micro, you know, moment to ground, whether it's a deep breath, whether it's, you know, holding your palms together, whether it's, you know, just sliding your hands along your thighs, you know, just to kind of bring yourself back into, your body, um, and to soothe that system. And so, you know, it can be as small as the micro micro moment of taking a deep breath or, or, you know, um, rubbing your palms together, or it could be, you know, you're going to go lay in the grass for a half an hour or, you know, take a long shower or, you know, go meditate like up in the mountains or on the beach, you know, there's like, there's a range in that. And, you know, it's not always going to be like, Hey coach, I'm going to jump out of the pool really quick and take a lap around the pool deck because, you know, this teammates really like trigger me, triggering me right now. And I'm about to pop off. Right. Like, you know, we don't always have that ability, but maybe it is a sip of water and a, and a breath and just even physically moving your body away from whatever that tension or friction or chaos is coming from. And so I think that's huge. And I think, you know, it's important for all of us in in all of the spaces that we're existing and showing up of what are those micro moments of soothing and grounding so that we can access that balance to be you know and I, I don't want to sound so performance based but this like most optimal flow so that we can all be like in flow together as humans. So yeah what's coming up for you here? I just love that the idea the optimal, of performance, each of us stepping into whatever that means for us so that we can all resonate and flow. That's the ultimate goal, right? Um, and I think to your point about the the micro adjustments and you know, you mentioned attention and intention, right? And when you pull those so that this particular glass of water that's sitting on the boardroom table, you know, you fill it with your intention and your attention to be the grounding practice. This is which got available to you. So as soon as that's finished, you're going to be grounded. Like you fill it and ascribe it with that kind of power. 
so it's available within you to access your own sense of groundedness. And then you can see what, what if you're honest with yourself, this, this is, you know, this work flow um, in general and intuition in general requires that you be really honest with yourself, right? And yeah. so you have to be willing to look in the mirror and to be clear, like what you're seeing, whatever resistance is coming up and the rigidity, let's use that because it's pretty common in mm -hmm. high performance training. And, you know, like to explore what aspect of your connection to what you're doing is being motivated by fear because that's that's going to be where you go into the rigidity, you know? Mm -hmm. um, and so to, to play with shifting out of fear into the heart, you know, and as, as frequently as you can, this is that reason why I think sport has been so useful. I know, I know how to train, you know, yep. so like because of my relationship to athletics. And so I think that if you bring that concept to, to spirit, to your spiritual realm or spiritual world, I think you can see how, how really everything is a training opportunity, everything, everything that shows up in your world is an opportunity for training. And in, if you lean into it, you reap the benefits of what it can offer, you know, whether it's a gift to you, like a message from the hawk flying across your yeah. window or whatever it is, you know, wonderful with yourself. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And I love that there's, there's, I mean, the, the authenticity that has to be present to experience intuition and flow, you know, there's no, it, there's not really, there's no faking it until you make it in intuition or flow. There may be to get to it, right? Like, you know, that pumping yourself up to get to the place of having enough repetition uh, to be able to drop into the, you know, intuition flow that we're talking about. But I, I love that you know, it, it will keep you honest and it, and you, you have to be, to be able to experience it at its, at its fullest. So I want to thank you so much for your time. What beautiful insight that you shared. And I just feel that there are such great kind of really simple approaches for everyone to, to try on, you know, what is it to come from the heart rather than fear? What is it to kind of be present, bring intention and attention and look for the magic in the day and the communication that's that's happening throughout the day that's letting you know you're where you're at and and where you need to be and the faith that needs to be present for that. And you know, how do you experience flow and what are the things that need to be put into place and how do you practice that? This has been such an enjoyable conversation and thank you so much for joining us here today. Thank you so much for having me. It has been so much fun. I really appreciate the opportunity. Thank you. Thank you to those who joined us on Mindful Warrior Radio. If you enjoyed today's episode with psychotherapist, spiritual coach, intuitive channel, and elite athlete, Shauna Zalazo, please take the opportunity to share with a friend, follow on Mindful Warrior Radio, and leave a review. To learn more about Mindful Warrior and Mindful Warrior Radio, please follow us on Instagram at The Real Mindful Warrior and check out our website at www.mindfulwarrior.com. I look forward to our next discussion here on Mindful Warrior Radio.